Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Purple Insider is presented by Oakley. Express yourself. Build a look that's made for you. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Try it for yourself. Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality. So head on over to oakley.com for more information today. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here and joining me on the show, I believe first appearance on the show. That's a mistake on my part. Tampa Bay Trey, Trevor Sycamore, pro football focus and former Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat reporter. And guess what, Tampa Bay Trey? We have Vikings and Bucks. Number one on the schedule. What is going on, man? That's what we're going to talk about. No, I appreciate you having me on the show. We've followed each other on social media for forever. I feel like I've interacted with you so many times. You saying, oh, on the show for the first time. I'm like, that can't be right. But I think it actually is. So we're going to have to make up for lost time here on this episode. But it's good to to be on with you, my friend. Well, I think part of that is that you were covering the Bucs before. And the Mm -hmm. Vikings played the Bucs in, what, 2017 and maybe maybe 2020 yeah i think they did i feel like there hasn't been that many matchups between the vikings and bucks they definitely had some game that they blew against tom brady but there has not been a lot of those crossovers between the vikings and bucks and so now you know they'll face the bucks in week one and i i guess a good place to start that conversation is just What's going on with the Bucs? I I mean, this is a team that I think there hasn't been a whole lot of reason to pay attention to this offseason. You sign Baker Mayfield. That's an uninspiring signing. Tom Brady isn't there anymore. Uh, What are are we feeling? What are we feeling about the Bucs? Just another team in the league? Yeah, first of all, your memory serves you very well. They did play in 2017, and the Vikings won that game. And then they did play in 2020, and the Buccaneers won that game. So you nailed it. Uh, But – no, the Bucks are. I mean, it, it, it. This is this is one of the more up and down, like over under win totals that I think you have when they come out. It feels like a lot of people are staying away from the Buccaneers over under. I think it's about six and a half. Most places have them right around that. And you'd say, man, talent wise in the team, you'd think just looking at it on paper, you go, okay, it's probably more than six wins, right? But the quarterback change, the offensive coordinator change, the offensive line changes, like. There's just so much difference between this team and last year's team that you can't even you can't even simply go, oh, okay, let's take Tom Brady off of last year's team. Then what is this year's team going to be? There's just so much change that has happened, especially on the offensive side of the ball, that um, a lot's a lot's going to have to get proven early on. I think Tristan Wirfs moving from right tackle to left tackle is going to be a bit of an adjustment no matter what. Right. And even though I think that worse is talented enough to figure it out at left tackle, 
it's going to be an adjustment period, especially for him. Like you said, opening the season, that first game, that first action is going to be him against regular season speed for the first time playing left tackle. You got a guy who was an interior guy in Luke Gadecki, who they drafted in the second round last year. Now he's kicking out to right tackle. Probably going to have Cody Mock, the the rookie that they drafted this year, starting at a guard spot then because of that chain reaction. So all of a sudden, man, it's just, okay, you got a lot of changes on the offensive line. Leonard Fournette's out, which might be an addition by subtraction. But still, Rashad White, now he's the feature back. You know, halfway through last season, that wouldn't even going to be the case with him. They got a good receiving core. They got good tight ends. But then, of course, it's all around the quarterback position. Who is it? Baker Mayfield, Kyle Trask. They signed John Wolford as well. Maybe throw his name in the hat. But ultimately, I do think it's going to be Baker Mayfield who's out there in week one. But there's just so much uncertainty. And then uh, Dave Canales, who's the offensive coordinator, now taking over for Byron Leftwich. A lot of changes going on with Tampa Bay. And that's why they're so intriguing, especially in the early parts of the season. Right. And, and I think that that is going to be very challenging for them because you go to one of the most difficult places in the NFL to play in U.S. Bank Stadium. However, you are facing a defense with the Vikings that also has undergone a ton of changes. And now Tristan Wirfs does not have to play against Zadarius Smith because mm-hmm. he is a Cleveland Brown. And the Vikings defense has changed out almost every part aside from Jordan Hicks, Harrison Smith, We'll see if by the time that game gets played, Daniil Hunter is still on the team or not. It's an entirely new secondary. Marcus Davenport is here. Delvin Tomlinson is gone. And, of course, he was a terrific run stuffer and could create some pressure. And now you're talking about Dean Lowry, which I think is a pretty big downgrade. So a defense that's totally in transition versus it seems like a franchise that's totally in transition. And I guess that's that's where Tampa Bay is interesting to me because this could be a team that despite a lot of the gifted players that they have, you could be talking about who are you drafting next year. Or you could be talking about Baker Mayfield in that division that's just not that impressive wins 10 games with them, takes him to the playoffs. And then the Bucs are like, well, that wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> so I guess if, if Baker Mayfield does start, it is hard to see them being a any sort of legitimately real contender. But I also think there's a very wide range of he has taken teams to the playoffs before. It's not like he's just complete garbage and he's going to have good receivers and a decent setup there. But I also think that the Vikings are looking at this game like if you can't beat Tampa Bay, then you're probably not that great anyway. Like you need to start out with a win. This is one that's looked at here as one of the easier matchups on the Vikings schedule. Yeah, and they're they're going to be catching the Bucks. you would think, at the right time, right, given all the change they have. I know you mentioned a lot of changes on their defensive side of the football, but them getting to host the opening week, I think, is important. You know, it's it, it's an easier way to start the season, no doubt. Mayfield, you know, look, I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and, and absolve Mayfield of, of his blames, right? He gets picked number one overall, and there's no doubt about it. He has been a disappointment. There's no other way to say it. You can look at what happened in Cleveland and say, all right, well, they didn't really do enough for him. There was enough stability, and there's cases for that. But outside of that rookie season, when it felt like Mayfield just came in right away and almost didn't even have to think. And it was just out there like playing almost backyard football. It's like, those are the moments that they look the best. And then when he really had to settle in on what was going on with the offense and when there was tape out there on him at each spot, whether it was Cleveland, whether it was Carolina, whether it was Los Angeles Rams, it felt like that continued to be the case. Once there was tape on him in that current offense, those current teams, teams just figured it out. And they re- whether it was 
high pressure from one side or dropping into a particular coverage shell or like whatever it was, he just couldn't really adjust and get comfortable when that film was out there and beat defenses week in and week out. So, you know, I will say like in his defense a little bit, he is getting a start here in Tampa that is a quicker start than what it has been at least the last two spots, right? Well, he signed on with the Carolina Panthers late into the summer. I believe it was July when he signed with the Carolina Panthers. And then, of course, you're talking late in the season, he's signing with the Los Angeles Rams. So you're trying to pick it up in the middle of a week and, and just get to a spot where you can not look horrendous as a starter. So at least when he's going to Tampa, I, yes, it is a quarterback competition, but I think if you ask anybody, really, they expect Mayfield to be the quarterback in week one. You think that he's going to get plenty of time with the ones. You think he's getting plenty of time in training camp with the, with the ones as well in that playbook with them designing things for Mayfield's strength and whatever he's got in a tank. I, I think they're going to try and get the best out of him even early on in the season. It's a tough ask when you're going on the road, but whatever you think of Baker Mayfield, whatever you think he could be, I do think the Tampa is at least putting together um, a, a decent formula for that to be the result for him. So ultimately I do think that Mayfield's going to be the quarterback that the Vikings end up facing in week one. And um, two, yeah, we'll just have to see. Cause it, Baker Baker has just been such a roller coaster to this point in his career. We'll have to see which, uh, which part of the roller coaster is a peak or is it the Valley that we're getting in week one against the Vikings? Yeah. It's funny because I mean, he played the one time that I saw the Vikings play against him. He played one of the worst games that I've seen a quarterback play <laughs> at us bank stadium. And it was really a turning point for Odell Beckham asking to get out of Cleveland because he missed him so many times open. And it just feels like whatever was there early with Baker Mayfield that he was supposed to build on, it never really came to fruition for whatever number of reasons because he was such an incredibly accurate passer coming out. Mm -hmm. And I remember PFF being so high on Baker Mayfield because he broke all of the metrics by being so incredibly accurate. And then it looked like that was coming to fruition and, and went away. And I don't know if that was injuries or what that was. And I agree though, with Carolina chaotic situation coach that was about to be fired brought to LA. There's some moments there, but I would not count out him being a competent quarterback still in the right situation. One of the things that is to his benefit is that he has a really good receiving core here, at least when they're healthy. I mean, this is seems to be the kind of the story of, when a team goes to the Super Bowl, wins the Super Bowl, goes to the playoffs year after year, it's really hard for people to stay healthy. You just play so many football games now. You've got 17 games and then some. And it just seems like Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, they're always kind of battling something. So even though it might be a good time to play Tampa Bay because they're not gelling yet or that you don't know what you're going to get. I also think in a way it's not great to play them then with new corners because there's a good chance those receivers are actually healthy. If you face them in week five, they might both be banged up by then. But I do think that we see more and more your middling quarterbacks that are just elevated so much by receiving tandems or trios or whatever it might be. And I think for the Vikings, if they're playing a Caleb Evans and Andrew Booth Jr. and Byron Murphy for the first time together, this actually might create quite a challenge because I feel like those guys are still, I don't know if I want to say like totally elite, but a still a really good pair of receivers. No, yeah, that and that's, 
if the Tampa's going to win the, the game, that that's what they're going to have to lean on. That is the strength of their team, and it's not a tired narrative. It's a true narrative with them. Chris Godwin's one of the best receivers in the NFL when he's fully healthy. Mike Evans, you could say the same thing about. You could run an offense through that guy. At, uh, you know, I think that when you look at um, Russell Gage last year, who they bring over and they were pumped about, he was dealing with injury. And then, honestly, man, the, the disconnect between – Brady and Byron Leftwich was so obvious once you got a couple of weeks into the season. It was just never going to get better. Them losing Ryan Jensen in training camp was huge because then the offensive line, you're playing a bunch of young guys. The the pillar of the middle of that that offensive line uh, was gone. You already lost Ali Marpet to retirement that offseason. You lost Alex Kappa to free agency during that offseason. So that offensive line was a mess. Brady never wanted to hang on the ball, never wanted to never wanted to take hits. And because of that, I don't think that Russell Gage got nearly as much production as he could have or even what they envision him to be in this offense. I really do think that that changes this year. I think that it's more it's more than just Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. I think it really does become a trio like it was with those two and then Antonio Brown when he came onto the team as well. They wanted it to be a three-headed passing attack. Now, I'm not going to say that Russell Gage is as good as Antonio Brown was when he was out on the field. Hopefully, he keeps his shirt on more than Antonio Brown did when he was out there on the field. But that's that's, I think, the kind of mindset that they have. Bruce Arians. He's not the head coach anymore, but he is still a, oh God, I can't even remember his title. Some sort of team analyst, you know, like he's, he's doing something involved with the team. He's just not wearing the head coach headset. So a lot of what they are looking to do on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, but you would think more offense because that's Arian's expertise is going, he's going to have a hand in that, or he's going to have a say. And I think they're all going to come together with that in mind. Arians likes to spread it out, man. He likes to get a lot of different people involved in the offense. And that's why I do think if they're fully healthy, the Bucs are going to stretch that cornerback room of the Minnesota Vikings as thin as they possibly can because they're going to play three wide receiver sets and 11 personnel as much as they possibly can. And they're going to say, okay, even if two of your corners are playing well, if one of the three is not, we're going to go after them. If, if, if they're putting them on the outside or they're putting them in the slot, we're going to rotate with these three receivers in because that's the thing about Tampa's receivers as well. Gage is mostly a slot receiver, but he can play on the outside. Chris Godwin and Mike Evans are completely versatile. They play in the slot. They play on the outside. They play on the line of scrimmage. They play off. There's nowhere they won't play those guys. So that is something that is definitely a strength or needs to be a strength for the Bucs if they're going to win this game is wherever Minnesota's weak link in the secondary is, they're going to go after that. They're going to rotate these receivers that way. And I think that's how the game plan has to be for them. And there might be multiple weak links to start the season. I think that what the Vikings defense is hoping is that these guys gel together, make progress throughout the year, and that by midseason they start to click and we get a sense for, okay, second-round pick Andrew Booth Jr., now he's taking his step forward, or Lewis Seen is at 100% healthy and he's starting next to Harrison Smith. But in week one, that might not be the case yet. And I know you have extra time to prepare, but also these guys have not seen the field a lot. I mean, Lewis mm-hmm. Seen has basically played no defensive snaps. Andrew Booth Jr. and a Caleb Evans, just a handful. I mean, Byron Murphy is a decent NFL player, but it's not like he's Patrick Peterson, who was phenomenal for them last year. So there's a lot of growth. And not only that, but Brian Asamoah coming in for Eric Hendricks. So now you have a new linebacker getting his first start. And I think he only played 
120 defensive snaps last year. So all these inexperienced players, I am curious, by the way, you mentioned Byron Leftwich. When the Vikings were doing a coaching search, they did not bring in Byron Leftwich. And I was kind of confused, like, well, that's weird because their offense had been so good, you know, winning the Super Bowl and everything else. What happened there with, with Byron Leftwich? Because for a minute, he was the next rising star. Also, right. honestly, you know, I played a lot of uh, ESPN 2K5 back in the day for PS2. <laughs> Always used Byron Leftwich. He was so good. So, you know, that there was a little nostalgia there, but I I thought that he was in really good standing. And then last year, it just seemed to crumble apart. And now I don't even know, did he take another job somewhere else? He went from kind of like head coaching guy that was being talked about, maybe yeah. next Jaguars coach to just completely off the radar. It's very strange. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually not sure if he signed on somewhere to be some sort of coach or coordinator. I, I didn't think that I saw anything, but uh, you know, the story of Byron Lefkowitz in, I was still covering the Buccaneers when they hired him. And so I caught a little bit of it, but I didn't really catch the struggle. So I, I wasn't in the building. I wasn't a beat reporter for the team when they really started to struggle, but man, you know, something that was always interesting, I would say that just stood out to me is I remember when Byron Leftwich got hired and when Bruce Arians was just so excited to have gotten Byron Leftwich as his offensive coordinator, they kind of told this story that was playfully joking. But now that you really think about it, you go, hold on, hold on a minute here. And he basically talked about how he had to beg Byron Leftwich to come be the coach. Like Byron was, was golfing and enjoying retirement or whatever it was. And he, Arians kept being like, you'd be a fantastic coach. You got to come coach. You got to come coach. And I think Byron the whole time was like, nah, nah, I don't want, nah, I don't want to do it. And eventually he cracked the one year and he's like, all right, so, okay, I'll come be the offensive coordinator. And I think that those two gelled really well together. Obviously, you know, during the final Jameis season, uh, there was certainly plenty of things to, to uh, work on and learn from there, but they were trying to have a potent offense and Jameis was turning the ball over too much. Okay. And then you get Tom Brady. Right. And so I think that Arians, Brady, and Leftwich were able to work well together. I think a lot of it was Arians' concepts, but Brady kind of infused a little bit of what he was used to as well. And I think Leftwich became pretty good at being the play caller for that because him and Brady were in sync at the time. Right. It go, when it's working really well, that's all fine and good. It's when it started to go bad, it just seemed like Leftwich couldn't adjust it's like he didn't have any other pitches it's like a pitcher where it's like okay like i'm gonna live and die by the fastball and if they start catching up to the fastball then i don't have anything else to throw i mean there were multiple times it felt like throughout the season where whether it was the early first down runs or the second the second and 10 runs or just different calls at the goal line different calls in the red zone whatever just all sorts of play calling things that you go what what are they doing here? They're hurt. They're actively hurting themselves because they just felt like this is the way the offense was supposed to go, even if it wasn't working. And there's certainly something to having a game plan, thinking that you have done a good job making the game plan and then sticking to it. But it just came, there came a point to where you went, okay, they've got to adjust here and they never did. It's, they, they stuck to a game plan and an offensive philosophy that just never worked. And I think this past year really scared teams because they saw that in the Bucks offense. The Bucks offense was bad in week four and week five. 
and it never got better. It never got better. And I'm not even talking about from a struggling offensive line perspective, you know, not doing great in the rugged, whatever. The play calls, the tendencies, the approaches to situational football, it didn't change and it didn't get better. And I really do think that that's kind of what scared teams away during this uh, this hiring cycle. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Folks, I'm super excited to announce a new sponsor to the show that just made us a whole lot cooler. Oakley, express yourself and build a look that's made for you. You guys know that I spend my summers on the golf course, and while my golf game will remain the same, Oakley's will do two things for me. They will improve my golf look by a lot. Anytime I can look more like Justin Jefferson, I've got to take that opportunity. And they will also protect my eyes from the hot Minnesota sun as well. If you're out golf, like me, training, going to baseball games here in town, or hey, training camp is right around the corner, and I know you guys are going to be out there watching practice just like me. Oakley is changing the game, so it's time to discover a whole new world of possibilities. They're suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses, allowing for an extension of yourself, an expression of your personality more than meets the eye. So make a sunglasses upgrade now at oakley.com. Personally, I'm getting the Holbrook XLs for a classic look. Oakley even offers prism lens technology. What the heck is that, you ask? It is a proprietary technology to Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. Want to know more? I know you want to do your own research, so head over to oakley.com. And while you're at it, get yourself a pair of everyday glasses that'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there's really more than meets the eye. Trust me, try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to oakley.com for more information today. No, that, yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, I think last year, all of us on the outside who were just, you know, side-eyeing the Bucks, were thinking probably the same thing. Like, oh, Brady will get it together. They'll get right. rolling at some point. Here they come. And they had a couple of wins, like a, a comeback win at the very end of the game. Oh, okay, all right, now Brady's back. Here they go. And it just never clicked in. But I also think that there's some other mitigating factors as well. I mean, number one, if you don't have the offensive line, and we have seen this time and time again in totally. Minnesota, if you don't have the offensive line, there's only so much you could do. If you can't run the football at all, how do you play action off of that? And I know Brady's not a big play action quarterback, but at least making the other team care a little bit about your running game does matter. And I think also we saw a lot of offenses – that had very efficient running games last year. Tampa Bay, obviously not really one of them. Uh, and then you also have this Brady dynamic where the man is getting divorced, which I didn't need to know about, but yeah, there was a lot of reporting on, but he came back after trying to buy the dolphins. Like I, it was just such a, <laughs> such a very, very strange and bizarre situation. I remember saying last year, this is the most unhappy looking football player I've ever seen in my life. And I just don't know like how you're supposed to work with that when 
Everybody's banged up. The offensive line isn't good anymore. You can't even protect Brady by running. He doesn't want to push the ball down the field. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure his arm worked anymore to push it down the field. And then the guy is miserable as heck anyway. It just seemed like it was kind of almost in the same way what happened to the Rams last year, where you win the Super Bowl, you get that high from winning the Super Bowl, but eventually it kind of crumbles to a point. People get old, people get injured, people get unhappy, and it's just not the same as it once was. Yeah, no, look, it's, you know, it, it's one of those things where, yeah, I kind of talked about the the Byron Leftwich side of things, but what happened in Tampa Bay last year, whatever you bring up, you're probably right. Brady did look miserable. The offensive line was absolutely hurt. The run game was bad. The receivers, they were beat up. Arians not being there and some of the situational football decisions hurt them. Leftwich not being able to adjust as the season went on hurt them as well. So it's like a lot of people go, no, this was the culprit. No, this is the culprit. And, and honestly, all of those things are correct. And that is why it was such a frustrating year, I think, for a lot of people to watch his Tampa Bay offense because Tom had his own issues. He didn't want to get hit. When Ryan Jensen went down and when they had all those new interior offensive linemen, now you know how it goes. Short assistance to the quarterback is if the three-tech or the nose-tech beats the guy in front of him, and boom, there it is. They're right in the quarterback's lap. It takes less than uh, two seconds to get to that point. And so Brady had an insanely fast release last year, way faster than it's not even impressive at that point. It's not like, Ooh, look at his time to throw. He's so efficient. No, no, no. It was look at his time to throw receivers. Can't even get into their routes. So Brady was a problem. The injuries were a problem. The play calling was a problem. It was a mess last year in Tampa. Uh, Yeah, definitely was. Um, (laughs) Other than that though, still, still a great time. Um, so I did, I did want to ask uh, about the defensive side and drafting Kalijah Kansi because he's somebody that we had our eye on here. Uh, it is interesting with Kalijah Kansi. He's going to be paired with Vita Vea, who's one of the best, I think players in the NFL, not just at his position, but one of the most scary guys, he gets sacks now and stuffs the run. He can do just about everything. I was watching of all people, Brian Baldinger has some of the like, best content for entertainment and also like his film stuff, but he's yeah. just funny in the way he does it. And he was like watching film with Kalijah Kansi on the beach. Yeah. He right. Was twice as big as Kalijah Kansi. I was shocked. I was like, wow, this guy is actually quite small, but I do think that as we were talking about that interior issue, that's where the Vikings struggled so much last year, their guards combined for more pressures allowed than any other pair of guards in the entire NFL. And that's the strength of the Tampa Bay defense. I do feel like when I look over this Tampa Bay roster on, on defense, I see a lot of good pieces that are still there. And when we talk about what they can be mm-hmm. and probably they are an average team because that defense is still largely together. Yeah, no, the, the defense, I think everybody wants to talk about what's going on up front and they're a difficult team to project for because Vita Bay is going to be your guy in the middle. We already know that. They like Greg Gaines a lot, who they signed from the Los Angeles Rams, who's also going to replace Akeem Hicks and just be the beef in the middle. So those two guys are going to kind of, whether they're playing an odd front or an even front, those are going to be the guys who I think are going to stuff the run a lot. I think they're going to play Kansi a lot at edge. Like, I really do. I don't think he's just going to be a three-technique player. I think they're going to put him out on the edge, and when they go odd front, they'll put him at a defensive end spot. But, of course, they'll, like, surround him with some linebackers and everything to make up for the lack of length. But I don't think... Cansey is just going to be this three technique defensive tackle. I think they're going to get really creative with where they move them. 
Uh, they're expecting a big year from Logan Hall, who they drafted very highly out of Houston last year. Joe Tryon Shoyinka from Washington's got to take that next step. Shaq Barrett, you're hoping you're getting him back and healthy. And at that point, it's like, all right, well, I just named a lot of guys. Yaya Diaby, they drafted this year, who I know that they're very excited about from Louisville. And there's just like a ton of guys there that they're going to throw at the pocket in a lot of different ways. It's difficult to project because you can't exactly pick out a starting four and just go, okay, we're solid here. Instead, the Bucks truly have this seven, eight-man rotation of defensive linemen that they're almost like positionless along the defensive line who they're going to use in a lot of different ways. Devin White's still there for now, and I think that he's still going to play for them this upcoming season, even though there was like the trade demand and you know some cryptic Instagram messages. I think he plays for the Buccaneers this upcoming season. Levante David's still next to him. Levante's still playing at a high level, even if he takes another step back athletically this year. And then you got an experienced secondary uh, with Antoine Winfield Jr. Now they lost Mike Edwards, and, and that's going to hurt him. Uh, but I think that they're still strong enough there. They brought back Jamil Dean. They have uh, Carlton Davis. And so the secondary is still pretty strong for them. And the rest of the defense, I think, is definitely there. So it, it is a difficult group to just put a starting 11 out there on paper and just say like, no, we're good because that's not really how you can view Tampa's defense. They're going to be so multiple up front. They're going to have the same two linebackers, no matter what uh, in, in white and David. And then I think there's enough experienced secondary players that they still have to, to still think that this secondary is going to be a pretty good one, at least one of the best in the division. Yeah. And I think if the Vikings are scared of one thing, it's all those defensive linemen that you mentioned, because one of the issues they had last year was anytime teams ran games with them in the, on the D line, they just didn't know what to do. I mean, an inexperienced right guard who was a rookie and a, a left guard who used to play tackle. And then also used to play right, right guard and then plays left guard and just could not figure out stunts and twists and blitzes. And this sounds like this is what we're going to see a ton of. And I think also Todd Bowles is a very aggressive coach as well. Yes. And I, I just think you're going to see a ton of like these two guys, him and Brian Flores kind of looking each other in the mirror a little bit with a lot of different things that they're going to throw at the offensive lines. And this is why, see, the way I look at, at this matchup, when I first saw it and I was doing my, you know, who's going to, you know, which games they're going to win and whatever, I just went like, oh, okay, Tampa Bay, it's going to be a win. Baker's their quarterback, who cares? On to the next game. Uh, and then started to look at it closer. And if the Vikings don't win this game, it gets very, very bad for them quickly because Philadelphia is coming up. Kansas mm. City's not too far from that on their schedule. It gets mm. a little a, a little concerning for them quickly. But the more we talk about it, and much will change throughout the summer, it's like I think that this is kind of a low-key bad matchup for them in some ways, not in Baker Mayfield because he doesn't scare you, but in the ways of the receivers on offense and the ways that they can create pressure on the defensive side because if there's one thing with Kirk Cousins, he took a ton of hits last year. He had a lot of sacks. He had a lot of turnovers overall, and this seems like a Tampa Bay defense that has enough dudes that could cause those problems. And that's what—that's how you get upset in week one, right? You turn the ball yeah. over three times, and then you get beat by a team you thought you were way better than. Yeah, and that's why I kind of opened it up saying people don't really know where to go with this six and a half win total for the Buccaneers because I think a lot of people approach it like you did, where you go uh, Baker Mayfield or Kyle Trask is their quarterback. They're not getting more than six and a half wins. I'm betting the under on that. And then you look at the rest of the roster and you go, this team probably shouldn't win less than six games. So if you just give them one extra game, then boom, all of a sudden you hit the over. 
So it, it is, they are just such a fascinating case. And I agree, kind of talking it out, looking at the Vikings, uh, looking at the Vikings roster and what the matchups could be. Tampa definitely has exploitation points with this team. And, and I think that that's what makes this a fun matchup to start the season. Okay. Let me ask you a question because I, I, we've gone as far as I ever want to go with what about the offense? What about the defense? And I, yeah, I'm sure as you being the former beat guy, you know how that is when you do radio appearances for the other team. They're like, so what's going on with that defense? You're like, did you look up anyone on the defense? I don't know that you did. You just want me to tell you who's on defense. So anyway, <laughs> um, but here's a, here's a discussion involving the Vikings and mm-hmm. the Buccaneers that I've always found to be quite fascinating. Um, as, as former NFC central foes, of course, yeah, of course. Yes. So the Vikings throughout their history have always been good. They have not won a super bowl. They have been great occasionally, but mostly always good. Every year you go into, you're like, this team could win the division. This team could like, maybe have a chance. Maybe we get in. Let's see. Tampa Bay has been mostly horrendous almost every single season of their existence. Correct. God awful. And then they just pop up and win a Super Bowl. Okay. And then they disappear forever. And then they come back and win another freaking Super Bowl. Is it better to be a fan of a team that wins one Super Bowl every two decades or a team that every single year you think your team is going to be good and has a chance? Uh, I, I think it's better to be God awful and then all of a sudden win the Super Bowl out of nowhere and then be god-awful again. Because I'll tell you, you know, I was talking with somebody about this not too long ago. When you have realistic high expectations, social media and conversations about your team are so annoying. They are combative. They are like, you, like you just got people going after each other. You're like, no, this is what we got to do. You're an idiot. Like all this kind of stuff. And just it, it is just so hostile when you actually have expectations and Tampa when they had Brady obviously had those now winning the Super Bowl that first year they get Brady alleviated so much of that which was going to happen over the next two years but even like last year man they're struggling with Brady and they're so like we just talked about there are like so many different things to point to and the conversations just became so annoying it's like okay we get it but again when you are a fan base that has realistic high expectations it is so draining to have those conversations on social media and when you're bad it's fun we're all sharing memes you know the team's terrible you're all making jokes who cares if they like now obviously like it gets annoying when you're watching the team and they just continue to lose over again they can't figure it out and you get frustrated but at the end of the day you can you can get a little frustrated and go yeah as the saying goes in tampa same old bucks and so I personally have had much more fun riding the roller coaster of that than I would have just like kind of being like middle of the pack or a little bit high enough to compete or get to an NFC championship game or whatever. I, but that's just from my experience. And that's kind of how I would answer that question. Well, it matches up with the numbers. Uh, there was a study of social media looking at what fan base was the most negative and it was the Vikings. And I think, I do think that being in the middle is a incredibly frustrating place to be because Mm -hmm. if you are terrible, what you think is 
We're going to get the number one overall pick. Jameis Winston's going to take us to the moon. We're right. going to do the rookie quarterback contract thing. Right. We're going to rebuild. Also, people love to play general manager during rebuilds and things mm-hmm. like that. If your team is stuck in the middle and the best you can do with all of your cap space is sign Michael Pierce, it's that takes some of the shine off of the let's, let's all pretend that we're right. armchair general managers. Uh, I also think that when you win that one, it sustains people over a long period of time. Like yes. the Chicago Cubs, when is the last time anyone cared really about the Cubs? Oh, when they won that World Series and those people are holding their heads high, no matter what, for years and years and years to come. And having so many times where, this is another thing too, is so many times where they find a way to crush the souls of their fan base. It's not that you had a bad season and then you watched other teams in the playoffs. It's that you were right there. You won 13 games last year. You are driving to potentially tie the game late and your quarterback checks down on fourth and eight and it crushes your soul again. It's like the number of body blows that this fan base has taken is really unbelievable. And I think that most of Vikings fans would trade and say, I don't care about all those other seasons. And there's definitely a lot of people who would say like, I, I don't even care if they win 13 games. doesn't matter. If it didn't result in getting to the Super Bowl, then whatever. I think that's a little too cynical for me. The only thing I would say is, so you've had the hilarity and everything else. Mm-hmm. You, If you have a really good team, you have great players come through. And so you would have to trade your time with Randy Moss you're Justin Jefferson, mm. you're all, you know, you're John Randall. You'd have to trade a lot of your all-time great players who have been here and been legends because you would have had to have been bad and they actually made you good. So that's not a case to say you'd rather have the Vikings history, but maybe there is something to every year. You get to have a lot of Sundays where you're not like wanting to jump in front of your lawnmower or something. You know what I mean? Like a lot less frustrating Sundays, a lot more that you go to, work Monday happy, I guess. Right. But I don't know that, that elusive Super Bowl for the Vikings, it just haunts them. Um, did, you know, I'm sure you've heard this, that they have the best record of any team in history to not win a Super Bowl. That I did not know that stat specifically, but that's tough for the, for the longest time. Actually, I think that this might still be the case. I think the Bucks have the lowest winning percentage of any franchise of the four major American North American sports. I think, I think. And so it's, it's one of those things where it's like, they were just so bad for so long. And then you get, honestly, you got, we, they got that one Super Bowl. and I grew up just South of Tampa. So a lot of my friends, they were Tampa sports fans as well. And you'd just be sitting around, you know, sitting around the couch. You guys would just be like, Hey you guys, remember Simeon Rice? Hey, you guys remember Dwight Smith? Hey, you guys remember Michael Pittman? You guys remember Joe Jarevicius? And you just start like saying names from like the Super Bowl team just because everybody knows them as legends. So I, again, I, I think your point about not uh, being able to be a, a desk chair GM definitely goes into it because there is something totally rejuvenating about your team being so bad that you have a high draft pick. Because when you were in the middle, that's the worst place to be. Shoot, there are a lot of Bucks fans right now who are who are I'm, I'm talking to and they're like, oh, you know, I'm they're they're not gonna make the playoffs, but like I want them to win as many games as possible. I was like, do you? Do you want them to win as many games as possible? Because I, I I understand that like rooting for your team to lose is 
kind of lame. Like I get it objectively. It's probably smart for the franchise, but just most fans, like people who don't cover the team, it's not fun to root for losses, especially at the beginning of the season. Cause that's your team. At the end of the day, be the first overall pick and you get Caleb Williams. That's probably better than winning six or seven games and coming in second or third of the NFC South or whatever it is. So uh, it is, I think the off season part of it is a very good aspect that you brought up there. There's no question uh, about the draft part. And it's one of the reasons that the Vikings are where they are. And they have, I mean, with Randy Moss, what was he the, I don't know, 23rd or something overall pick. And Justin Jefferson was in the twenties or was no Moss was 18. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, but when you're drafting there, they're even insanely lucky to have gotten those players in right, the draft. Right, like, because right. normally well, you wasn't have... Jefferson wide receiver five, right? In that draft. Yeah, yeah which so never it... happens. And with Moss, it was like the quote, you know, character concerns or whatever sure. right. that dropped him. But if that had not happened, I don't even know what their history would look like if they didn't have those two guys mm-hmm. uh and sort of lucked into them. But most of the time, and we talk about this all the time, Vikings fans have reached a point where I think they were ready coming off of last year to tear it all down, blow it up. If they had hired Ryan Poles, he might've done the same thing in Chicago. And I think that there's a lot of people here that said, we'd rather see that. We'd rather see a bad year or two, but I think the ownership of the Vikings understandably always wants to be in that mix. And then we'll see what happens. And we have seen, you know, the Ravens win with Joe Flacco and so forth. I don't know if Mm. you know, Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl, but uh, it comes up every once in a while. Um, but it's an, it's a really fun and interesting discussion. I have one more thing for you. Okay. Yes. So I, uh, pulled up the list of the top 10 passers in history of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh God. And, um, there's some funny crossover here and I want to know uh, from uh, guys who played for the Vikings. So I want to know how many of the top 10 can you name off the top of your head passers in terms of yardage? in the history of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, because it is a tremendous list. Okay, so just total yardage? Total yardage, total passing yards. Okay, Jameis. Jameis, number one. Uh, where's Tom on that list? Tom is number three. <laughs> okay, I, okay, I was going to say, Tom, Tom's got to be top five. Um, Brad Johnson. That's the crossover. Yep, he yep. is the seventh leading passer in Tampa Bay Bucks history. Okay, um... Vinny Testaverde, how many did he have? Number two, he had uh, 14,000 yep. yards and 112 interceptions. Okay. <laughs> in, in 76 games. He had 112 picks in 76 games and somehow became a good quarterback later on. That's Only incredible. Bucks history. It's incredible. Uh, I bet Josh Freeman's on that list. There's some more crossover. The Josh Freeman game remains legendary among all Vikings fans. The one game where it was, it was actually early meme area or era where someone did the, like he's throwing the ball and the next picture is the ball hitting the moon. That kind of thing because he was so (laughs) inaccurate in that game. So yes, Josh Freeman is the fourth leading. This franchise has Super Bowls, people. And your fourth leading passer is Josh Freeman what is uh is jeff garcia on there you sir are excellent he is the 10th leading passer having only played 25 games i was gonna say like he did not play that long but i think he played long enough and was just like a veteran to get it to understand it um 
There's so you're you're one away or wait no two away one is really obvious no three you need three more okay one is like the guy is kind of legendary in the NFL for something he did later and then two more are only if you grew up in the nineties. Uh, is Doug Williams on there? Doug Williams, yep. So legendary, okay. winning the Super Bowl for Washington. Yep. Um, so this other guy is a guy that played also for the Bears. And I bring him up only as like random 90s quarterback. Also played for the Colts. I think he played for the Bears. I don't think I'm going to get it. Who is this number one? Number seven. Who is it? I'm not going to get it. Craig Erickson. I was not going to get Craig Erickson. Okay. <laughs> just yeah. like, I'm just like, I was not going to get, that was not a, oh, it was on the tip of my tongue. Was not going to get that one. And then is the, the other one's also a 90s quarterback? The other one is also a 90s quarterback. Actually played from i think like the 70s into 1998 i believe was his last season this guy played some of the most seasons in the history of the sport oh lord yeah played for kansas city i mean just this this is a total 90s legend but randomly was the backup quarterback for chris chandler in atlanta in 98 at age 44 san francisco i think i don't know Steve DeBerg, the legendary, the one and only Steve DeBerg. Other other notables on this list, which is just an astounding list. Steve Spurrier is on the list. Ryan Greasy is close. He's 11th. So, okay. Um, Greasy, Greasy, I thought would be somewhat close. He would have been another one of my guesses if you didn't give me the, uh, the the earlier days hits but uh okay greasy's on there uh we also have mike glennon at 12 sean king (laughs) ryan fitzpatrick someone named jack thompson who i've never heard of steve young at number 16 yeah baby 16 record chris sims bruce gradkowski Mm. josh mccown josh johnson luke mccown tim rattay see i couldn't name this I could have named you almost all of those guys. I just knew that they weren't going to be top 10. I just knew they were the journeymen, the Gradkowskis, the Glennons, the Josh Johnsons, like Greasy I would have got to eventually, like all of those. I was wondering how high Fitzpatrick was actually just because of the stretches that he had as the spot starter. So, wow, what a uh, – it it is truly incredible. It was truly incredible, the franchise that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have had. And multiple rings. Amazing. And two rings. So- and two rings. Well, uh, let's uh, let's get together again before this football game actually happens. Oh, um, like four months from now. Sure. Uh, but uh, NFL Stock Exchange is your show. You uh, are a terrific host. And I've, I've been on your show before. Really appreciate what you're doing at PFF. And uh, love to see it. So this time uh, we'll get together before then. But this was really fun, man. And um, I, I, I can't wait till we're, uh, we're talking about actual football games in September. Yeah, normally I do not get anywhere close to this excited until we basically hit the month of August. But this is fun, man. This at least piqued my interest. And when I start to do my season previews, I'll have a little bit of a head start. So it was it was great joining you, Matthew. Hope to do it again soon. All right. Follow him at Tampa Bay Trey. Not hard to find on Twitter. And uh, we'll catch you all next.